0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the, the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to begin today in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So I want to encourage you to take out your Bible and turn there as well. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor... I loved playing games with students, and I didn't just play games to play games, but every time we would play a game, it always had a spiritual purpose or trying to teach a spiritual lesson. You know, we know with Jesus, as he walked through life, he did a lot of teaching through parables, where he would take everyday objects and he would give them spiritual meaning after he told a story, and you know I. Tried to model my teaching somewhat a little bit after that by using games as an opportunity because that connects students together and connects students to God's word. And one of the games we used to play, I don't know know if it had a title or not, but this is the game that we played. What we would do is we would have one student be the caller and one student be the journey person. We'd put a blindfold on that journey person and then we'd have in the room set up various obstacles around them. And the goal of the game is to have the caller give directions to the journeyman so that he can make it from one side of the room to the other side in safety. Sounds pretty simple? We've tried to make it a little bit more confusing by having all the other students in the room start yelling out different things to try and throw off the directions that were being given from the caller. Right? So you can imagine, lots of noise and all of that. And the challengingness of the game is that the the journey person had to try to, in the midst of the noise, pick out the directions that would get them to safety. You guys see the spiritual implications of that? Right, the spiritual implications of that is that in much of the same way as followers of Jesus Christ, we live in a world that is full of noise. We live in a world that's full of danger, seeking to destroy us, seeking to have us stumble and fall, take us from the left or to the right. I don't know about you, but as a believer, like, I want to get home. Like, I want to get home and I want to be safe. And I know that there is a Jesus that has gone before me, who's calling to me in the midst of the noise who's telling me, You follow me, turn right, turn left, go straight, back up, speed up, slow down. He's giving all of these directions because he wants me to get to the end safe as well. And we know as we live in this world, we want to get home. And we know that Jesus is there, but sometimes it's difficult because instead of focusing in on the voice of our master, we allow the distractions of the world and the dangers of the world to trip us up. And today we're beginning a new 10-week series that we've entitled The Followers' Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus. You see, what, we, what I believe is that what we're going to see in this passage as we walk through this series is that Jesus is an amazing trailblazer and Jesus is an amazing trail guide. See, Jesus never asked us to do anything he did not do himself. And I don't know if you've ever been in the wilderness, if you ever have been in a new place and you have a trail guide. You know, the beauty of a trail guide is someone that has experience walking the path that you're getting ready to walk. Someone that knows where the dangers are someone that knows where the best sites are, where you can go off this path and maybe find a serene waterfall or you can climb up this rock and you can see the the beautiful landscape before you. The beauty of having a trail guide is they have experience. And what we're gonna see through this series is that Jesus is our trail guide, that he's already walked the path. He knows where the dangers is. He knows where the joys are. He knows where the quiet waters are. He knows everything. And it's his job, it's his goal, it's his desire as our trail guide to get us home. And so we're over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' words. How Jesus helps his disciples and wants to help us navigate the difficult world that we find ourselves in. The passages that we're going to be looking at are, um, if you've got a Bible that that has Jesus' words in red, we're going to be focusing in on a lot of Jesus' words over the next few weeks. We're going to get a chance to sit at the master's feet and hear from his heart what his desire is for us. Some scholars call uh, chapter 13 to the end uh, to to Jesus going to the cross, Jesus' farewell discourse. Jesus knows what is coming. He has positioned himself in such a way that he knows the cross is coming. And so he wants to, in these last few moments that we'll see, he wants to prepare his disciples as much as possible for what is to come. He wants to prepare them for what also is to come after that. So he gives them a lot of insightful words that many of them didn't have ears to hear at the time because their minds and their hearts were racing, especially as the flurry of activity towards Jesus' crucifixion was getting ready to ramp up. And so it's, it's amazing if we put ourselves not in the, not in the position of Jesus, But if we put ourselves, if we go through this series, in the position of the disciples, being reminded that Jesus is our great teacher and that we ourselves, just like the disciples, fumbled and mumbled through life, we too sometimes fumble and mumble through life. But God is there promising to help us get through to the end. Now the context of this passage we can see right in the beginning of John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says right there, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart our world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What I love about this is it puts this in the context. So where we're at is Jesus knows he's going to the cross soon. And so, what has he done? He gathers his disciples close in the upper room to share in the Passover meal, the meal that they had shared together several times before this. But Jesus gathers on this time in a different way, for he knows what is to come. The hour had come for him to depart out of this world. So, Jesus knows his destination. He knows that he's getting ready, that he's come to earth, but now is his time to get ready to depart, to go be back with the Father where he was in eternity past. And it goes on to say he shows not only his destination, but we see his heart, that he had loved his own. Jesus has enormous capacity for love. And he had loved his own so much, those that he would walked with, but also those who would walk after him. And we see that he, his heart not only led to the goal, that he loved them to the end. So what Jesus is saying here is that in this farewell discourse, he gives this trail map to guide them. And it's simply this, just follow Jesus. Just follow him because Jesus had a destination in mind. He had a heart of love and he had a goal to get those through whom he loved to the end. And so what we're going to see today as we look at this passage is that Jesus paved the way for us to follow. Jesus paved the way for us to follow. He set himself out as the trailblazer and now serves as our trail guide. And today as we look at this passage, we're going to see three ways that Jesus paves the way for us to follow him first we'll see in verses one through five that Jesus paved the way as a servant look with me in verses one through five this says, now before the feast of Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end So we see Jesus beginning to set this, set this out as he's paving the way as a servant. And I don't want us to miss this. I, I don't know if you, you, you picked up on it as we were reading through it. Do you see the dynamics of what's taking place? Like God is mentioned, Jesus is mentioned, the devil is mentioned. Like there's a lot of things getting ready to go on that are like in the forefront but also in the background. Like, we cannot miss the fact that there are demonic forces involved in our everyday life. That Satan is seeking to deter and destroy God's plan. And Satan always thinks that he's going to be able to win. And so even in this case, we see Jesus. We don't see Jesus freaking out. Right? Jesus is not full of anxiety. Jesus is not, oh, I wonder if this is going to be okay. I wonder if it's all, going. you know, Satan is here and, and Judas is getting ready to betray. Oh, no, what can I do? No, we don't see Jesus freaking out. It says, verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Don't miss that. Don't, don't miss that. As we're going to walk through this passage, it's going to seem like there's this battle between God and Satan and that Satan is kind of winning. Don't be mistaken. Satan loses and God is always victorious. And we see here our savior, our trail guide, not worried. So what does he do As he's getting ready, he's in the presence of Judas, the one that would betray him. He has a meal. He eats with them. And what I love about this is that Jesus knew exactly who he was. And Jesus knew exactly where he should be. He knew who he was. And he knew where he needed to be. He knew that he came from God and was God and was going back to God. And he knew that this was where he needed to be at the right time because Jesus had a mission to accomplish. And he's in the right place in the right time. He knew that his hour had come to depart. And knowing that God had given all things in his hand, he knew that he was going back to the Father. And this is just amazing. Like, I hope we don't miss this too. Jesus was assured of his destination, Jesus knew his identity, and he knew those things were his security so that he was able to serve. Let me put that that together. When we are assured of our destination, right? when we know there's nothing that can snatch us out of our Father's hands, if we know that heaven is secure for us, that doesn't matter what happens in this life, if we know our destination is secure, and we understand our identity, When we understand that as a follower of Jesus, we are a child of God. When we can come from that place, that gives us a sense of security. When you know where you're going and you know who you are, you have a sense of security. This is exactly what Jesus does. He knows those things. He's assured of those things. And what does he do? He positions himself to be a servant. This is so countercultural, right? People want to find security in their identity, and so they, they want to rise up so they can have more people serve them, and that's the exact opposite of what Jesus has done. Jesus says, I'm so secure in all of this stuff that I know that I can serve. So what does Jesus do? Jesus rises from the supper, takes off his outer garment, Wraps a servant towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and begins to work his way around the table, washing the feet of this, his disciples. Now, for us, this would be strange in, in our case, right? If you were to gather together around the meal at someone's home, and they rise up, and they're like, hey, I'm going to take off your shoe. I'm going to wash, wash your feet. You're like, okay, that's a little weird. Right? For us, it would be weird. But for them in the culture of this time, this was shocking. Not in the same way it would be shocking to you and me. Because of the position of the rabbi, the position of the leader, taking the lowest position possible would have overwhelmingly shocked these disciples. Because the menial task of washing feet was lower than being a, a, a Jewish servant. What they would want to do is, if it was possible, they would have a Gentile who the Jews thought were the lowliest people of all time. Gentiles would come in and be the footwashers of Jews. And so Jesus is taking this from the position of leadership. Remember, as he's, as he's celebrating the Passover meal, remember he stands as the father of the family and is both the priest and the father figure as he's leading in the Passover meal. Then from this position of authority and this position of love and this position of, of servantness, Jesus actually takes on the position of a servant and he steps down and begins to wash his disciples' feet. The highest and greatest humbled himself to enact the role of the least and the lowliest. You know, this is so Countercultural for us, too, in our world today. In our worlds where selfishness and self-centeredness rules the day, we are called to be like Jesus, to surrender our comforts for the sake of others. Our world today even looks down on those who serves, those who serve, but Jesus always lifts them up. Embrace the identity of a servant. Realizing that if Jesus stepped down, he gave himself, gave up his rights to serve his disciples, so should we. That nothing should be beneath us. Oh, I can do all of these things, but I won't do that. Embrace the identity of servant. Serve those whom you love, which should be easy. Right? It should be easy for us to serve those whom we love. If we're Mary, serving your spouse should be easy. If you have kids, serving your kids should be easy. It should be easy to set aside your rights and your desires and your passions to serve those whom you love. But what I love about this passage is that Jesus doesn't just serve those who love him. You know who's there, right? Judas. Right? The, the one that's getting ready to portray him. Right? The one that has already done the, the, the task of taking the money and all that, he, he, it's, it's already in works. This, this process is already in place. And Jesus takes the time to step down and even serve the one that would betray him. Maybe this is the message of Jesus that you need to hear today. It's easy a lot of times to serve those whom we love. But what about serving the ones that hate you? What about serving the ones that despise you? What about serving the ones that are different than you, that think different than you, that live different than you? Jesus was able to do it. And he paves the way as a servant. If Jesus had not stepped down, if Jesus had not bent his knee, had not come from heaven to earth, you and I would have no hope. But because Jesus gave up the rights of his life, for you and for me, you and I now have hope. Second, as we look at this passage, not only did Jesus pave the way as a servant, but Jesus paved the, way, paved the way through his cleansing. Look in verse six. It says, he, being Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but after your word, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew the one who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus paves the way through his cleansing as Jesus is is working his way around the room, going from one disciple to the next disciple, washing their feet with love and with care and concern. He eventually comes to Peter. And Peter, in like complete disarray and disbelief calls out to him and is like, Lord, do you wash my feet? In essence, what he's saying is like in huge disagreement, like, Lord, do not wash my feet. I don't want to have any part of this. You should not be doing this. I should be doing this to you. You should not be doing it to me. And Jesus responds in verse seven, he says, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but you will understand. And so basically what he's saying is, is, let me finish what I'm doing, and then I'll tell you why I'm doing this. I'll give you insight into why this is so important. And Peter then, again, is saying to himself, I'm having none of this. I don't want to learn this lesson. And he says, you will never wash my feet. Peter has no idea what is really going on. In some ways, Peter's kind of displaying the pride of the religious. Right? He, he's, saying like, he, he's saying to himself, I am good enough. I don't need this cleansing. I am okay. I am all right because I'm doing the right things. I've been walking with you. I'm the one that proclaimed you as Jesus the Christ. And so like, don't do this. Don't do this to me. And so in his religious pride, Jesus is like, listen. What's happening here is much deeper than what you understand This is an outward act, but it's showing and it's symbolizing a a deep union and participation with Jesus. In essence, what he's saying is, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no share with me. You have no union with me. You have no relationship with me. And then then Peter is like, okay, then, okay, If, if this is what it takes, then wash all of me. Like, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. I want to go all in because I need and I desire to have this deep union with you. And so still, again, not comprehending. I love Peter because I am like Peter all the time. Like, Jesus is plainly speaking. He's not speaking gibberish. He's not speaking in code. Jesus is plainly speaking, and Peter's just not getting it. It's like, Peter, just be quiet. Like, for two seconds. Like, just stop talking. You don't need to continue to talk about everything. Just be quiet and allow Jesus to, do you guys need to hear that too? Like, just be quiet. Just let Jesus do what Jesus does, right? And so Jesus is like, okay, listen, Peter, and to you disciples, this idea of cleansing, this idea of being made right what, this symbolism of the foot washing was pointing to the cleansing that would take place on the cross it was a sim, symbolism so there's nothing there's nothing saving in the work of Jesus washing the disciples feet that's why some churches like get all bent out of shape and they're like we should make foot washing you know another ordinance of the church We're like no, no that, that's crazy there's nothing saving in it. Jesus is showing us a symbol of when we love someone, we're willing to give of our lives. We're willing to stoop down and be on their level. And so Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And there his broke body would be broken and his blood would be shed so that cleansing could take place. But here's also the crazy thing about this. Not everyone present in the room on that night was going to experience the cleansing of Jesus. Even though his feet were washed. His heart was not there. His heart never bowed before the Lord. Now imagine this about, about Judas, and we're gonna to get to Judas a little bit more later on, but I just want you to see: like there's a great danger when we look at the character and the person of Judas. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas heard the teachings of Jesus. Judas saw the miracles of Jesus, but Judas never gave his heart to Jesus. And yet Jesus still took the time to bow down, bow on his knee, wash his feet. And yet the cleansing that was going to come was not for him. Let me put this in maybe some in a situation that maybe we can understand a little bit better. You see, there's a big difference between the responsibility of a couple that's dating and a couple that's married, right? There's a big difference between that. There are some responsibilities. For the dating couple, right, they they are in relationship together. They do things together. Maybe they go to the movies. Maybe they go for long walks on the beach. Maybe they do all those things. But in a dating relationship, Right. In essence, the only thing that's tying you together is some verbal commitment of, hey, I'm with you until this gets hard or someone better comes along. Right? That's dating. Unless it moves to, to marriage, the commitment of marriage, right? So it's, it's different because you don't know. It, it could end at any moment. Someone could wake up one day and say, you know, you know what? I just don't feel this anymore. And besides, there's this new coworker at work that I'm thinking about, maybe it would be nice to hang out with them. Right. And so you can quickly. So there's no, there's no responsibility. There's really no commitment. There's absolutely no covenant. And so dating relationships are kind of like that. But then you move on to the marriage relationships. And in marriage, you are committed until death. You're committed even when you wake up in the morning and you really don't like your spouse that much. You're committed to that relationship. And in essence, what we're, when we take a look at these two relationships, this is what Jesus is getting at, right? You have Judas who is in a dating relationship with Jesus, hanging out with him, getting the benefits of it, but he was all there until something better came along, and he thought something better had come along, and he took a different deal. But Peter, well, Peter thought that he needed to. to to be in this relationship, this covenant relationship that he was, had entered into. And in essence, what he's saying is, is, Jesus, I want to be married to you every single day. I want to go through the ceremony of marriage over and over. And Jesus is like, wait, wait, that, that, that's crazy talk. That's not how this works. Right? You, you enter into the marriage through the covenant of the marriage ceremony or the marriage relationship, right? And then you are married. It doesn't change. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, Peter, you're not dating me, but you are in a relationship and we are together. So you don't need to be washed every day. You don't need everything to be washed because I'm going to the cross and you will be cleansed. See, an amazing work took place on the cross. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who had never sinned, went to a cross and the Bible tells us, that all of the sin of the world was placed on. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became sin. And all of God's wrath and all of God's punishment for sin was placed on Jesus. Jesus endured the wrath of God, the wrath that you and I deserve for our rebellion. Jesus endured that and Jesus died. And God saw that his sacrifice was enough so Jesus was raised from the dead and now Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, he put to death death and put away the punishment for sin. And if we believe in Jesus, then his righteous work becomes our righteous work and God no longer sees us, but he sees Jesus and what he has done. So my question to you this morning, is have you been cleansed by Jesus? I, I, I wanna really, I ask you in your, have you really been cleansed by Jesus? Or is Jesus kind of like a good luck charm? When you go through life and life's okay, you're like, okay, everything's fine. And then when things get tough, then you're like, oh Jesus, I need you. Oh Jesus, 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 Jesus. Help me through this valley, help me through this difficult time. Is, are you like a fair friend to Jesus? Or are you really deeply rooted in a love, loving relationship with our master? The one who gave his life so that we may be free. You know, yeah, I know we live in a world where there's lots of voices competing for our attention, competing for our affection and telling us to go this way and to go that way. And maybe you're here today and you have that relationship with Jesus, but you stop listening to his voice like you, you'd rather listen to other voices and your heart's going left and your heart's going right and your mind's going up and your mind's going down and you're just living a life of confusion, you know you have freedom from that. But listening to our master's voice above the noise and that takes discipline. We must be disciples, which means that we're disciplined followers of Jesus. Jesus. And we, if we want to know what our master wants us to do, then we've got to listen to him. And the only way we're going to listen to him is if we make space in our lives to hear from him. Oh, Jesus is speaking. Jesus wants us to know. And Jesus has provided the cleansing that we desperately need. Third, as we look at this passage, Jesus paved the way by giving us an example to follow. Look with me in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, so when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What I think is really important as we look at this passage is that we have to make sure that we get the order right. Get the order right of following Jesus. Right, as we look at following Jesus, Jesus Himself comes as the servant jesus then himself does the cleansing then we follow his example if we get those backwards then we turn then we've done nothing more than developed a religious life a life where we have a righteousness of our own if we start off by saying okay life begins by me following jesus example there are people that are doing this There are people that are following the ways of Jesus because they believe Jesus was a great teacher and Jesus was a man that lived a humble life. And so people can walk the path of Jesus doing the things that Jesus did, but they can do it with the wrong heart. And so what Jesus is saying here, or what Jesus is telling us, is he's saying that we do the work of a servant, not so that we earn favor with God or earn right standing with God, but that we do the work, we commit ourselves to the work because we are children of God. It's a big difference and it's easy for us to, to miss this too. And so Jesus has done the work. Jesus has come and now he is going to, ready to do the work and yet he tells us, make sure that we serve, we follow his example, after we've come through the cleansing, after we trusted him as our Lord and Savior. So he asked him this question, do you understand what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you were right, for I am in this powerful position. I am Lord and teacher. And as your Lord and teacher, I have stepped down to wash your feet. Now, just as I have done for you, you go and do the same. Followers of Jesus are to imitate him in humble love and service towards others. And he goes on again and gives us this example the servant is not greater than his master, but the master should stoop down and to serve the servant. And the messenger is not more mighty than the message. So, in paving this way, Jesus is establishing his authority. He's saying, because I have done this, now you too should do. And again, as he gives us this warning, is that every, everyone here in the room right now, some of you are going to make it, some of you aren't. One of you, not. one of you is not. One of you is here, but you really have no part of this. You, you hear these words and they're bouncing off your heart. You have no desire to be a servant. You only want to be a master. And because you only want to be a master, you have no place for the master in your heart. What Jesus is saying, and I love what Jesus has done. Jesus shows us the master model of discipleship. Right? Remember when he gathers his disciples? He's going through and he simply tells them, follow me. He's like, I don't want you to do anything yet. I just want you to follow me. Like, leave everything, come follow me. And so like young apprentices or or, or journeymen towards being an electrician, right? In, in the same way, the the Journeyman of the electrician doesn't come in the first day and the electrician's like, okay, here you go. Here's a circuit breaker, fix it. No, he doesn't do that. That'd be crazy. And somebody says, hey, just watch me. Just watch me. Okay, this is the ground. This is the, this and this and this. And he's teaching and he's not asking him to do anything. He's just asking him simply to watch. And that's what Jesus has done early on in the disciples' lives. He says, just follow me. And then there's a shift in Jesus' ministry where he says, okay, just like we would see in a journeyman or apprenticeship, there's a a shift in that leader that's leading the person or training the person to say, okay, now you try, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch and we're gonna enter into a time of lab that as you're you're doing things right, I'm gonna give you the encouragement and as you kinda go to left or to the right, I'm gonna give you some more encouragement to come back in line and that's what Jesus has done and now Jesus knows that he's transitioning, that he's getting ready to go back to the Father and he's like, okay guys, Go do it. You've watched me for three years. You've watched me live. You've watched me had a deep intimate relationship with, with the God of the universe, my heavenly father. You've watched all these things. Now it's time for you to do it. So simply follow the leader. Simply follow the leader. In their obedience to follow him, they were called to walk in humility to care for those that were around them. Again, we live in such a self-centered world, selfish world, where everything says, be about you, get what you need, you're the most important, have some me time, have some, do all this self-care, those things are important, but if we lift those up higher to the point of saying, I need to be served, then we've missed the point. God wants us to come daily, lay our lives down before him, saying, Jesus, this is my life that you've given me. Allow my life to be worshiped to you. I surrender all. Are you there this morning? Are you at that place where you say, okay, Lord, I'm ready for the next thing. I don't know what the the next journeys hold, but I know you're calling me to something different. I want to encourage you today, here at Woodside, we want you to be connected, not only in community, but we want you to use the gifts and talents that God has given you to serve others. So as you go out in the lobby today, like maybe one of those ministries, our men's ministry, women's ministry, outreach ministries, one of those things, maybe let it tug on your heart. And maybe the step that you need to take as a result of the message today is to become a servant. Take on the identity of saying, okay, I want to serve others and get connected. Find a ministry that you can get involved in. Or maybe today you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, and that's the call. Well, I'll be available out in the lobby. Come by after we sing our last song and just say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus. I'd love to share with you about him. Or maybe you're here today, and the time that we respond in, in this next moment as we sing Maybe you've stopped listening to your master's voice. Maybe you've gotten a couple skills. You know a little bit about Bible study and you're like, okay, I'm good. And you're out there like an unprepared, underwhelmed, overwhelmed, I mean, underprepared person that's trying to do battle in this world. It's like you're trying to take over hell with a little water pistol. Right? You're like, I got enough, right? This is good. And the the, the dangers of life are coming at you and you're like, you finally today feel like, whoa, I'm unprepared. Maybe today your confession is to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Let me hear your voice above the rest of the noise. Let me create space in my life so that I can spend time being more intimately acquainted with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words of truth this morning. We thank you, God, that you are not a God that has left us here on our own, but God, you have given us the way. You yourself are the way. That you will never ask us to do anything that you yourself haven't already done. And so, Father, I thank you that you took the position of a servant, that you humbled yourself, and that you freely gave your life as a sacrifice so that we may be forgiven. Father, what a glorious gift to know that we no longer stand in our shame, that we no longer have to live with regret, that we no longer have to wish we could go back and change something from the past, but that we can live freely in your grace right now because you humbly came. Father, I pray that as we sing, that you would allow us to respond in obedience to whatever it is that you've laid on our hearts. If we need to come to the altar and pray, Father, I pray that we would be moved. If we need prayer, I pray that we would move over to our prayer station and be prayed for. But Father, today, move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.